three, two, one. You ready? You're listening to the Real Pineapple Podcast Network. Ladies, gentlemen, theys, and gays, this is The Real Pineapple. This is your humble host, Hunter, here. Hope you're all having a great night, day, weekend, whenever you're checking this out. Uh, By the time you hear this, this will be up on MLK Junior Day, so I hope you're having a great MLK Junior Day. I hope you are actually observing the holiday. If you need some things to watch or some recommendations, I'd recommend One Night in Miami, uh, When They See Us. Um, One Night in Miami is on uh, Amazon Prime Video. Um, when They See Us is on Netflix. Uh, the Harder They Fall, that's on Netflix. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, that's on Disney+. Plus. And Let the Little Light Shine, which is a documentary that I did review and got the chance to interview uh, Kevin Shaw for the director. You can stream that on PBS. Uh, those are all great recommendations, and I, I know there's other stuff I'm... I'm missing, but there's just a couple recommendations to get you started. There's also a um, Black Voices tab on Netflix, uh, and there's something similar on Prime Video as well if you want to see some other recommendations. But don't just think of Monday as a holiday. Actually observe the holiday. Actually watch something. Listen to some Martin's speeches, listen to some Malcolm's speeches, do something with the holiday. Don't just treat it like it's uh, a day off. Actually go ahead and expand your mind a little bit. I would ask you to do that and hopefully you do. So with that said, I've got a review, a breakdown here for the latest Ant-Man uh, and the Wasp Quantumania trailer. So not a ton of stuff I noticed, but a few things that I did want to go ahead and discuss. So what I really like about this trailer is, as we know from Miss Marvel and Kamala Khan talking about how Scott Lang has a podcast, Scott is very much enjoying his newfound celebrity. We see him and Hope on the red carpet at the eight-second mark while Jonathan Majors, King the Conqueror's voice over goes ahead and talks about how Scott is very interesting, how he's a father, he's, uh, he's an Avenger, but how he's lost a lot of time like himself. And that's where I kind of want to start because as we learned from Loki, and by the way, since we are about a month out from Ant-Man the Wasp, I am going to have a review for Loki up the weekend of February. I'll probably have that up uh, the weekend of February 11th since Ant-Man the Wasp comes out on the 17th. But I haven't rewatched Loki in a while, so I'm going to go ahead and kind of tie more theories or more of my thoughts into that review. But what I what I find interesting is that King is appealing to Scott in this way, how we've both lost a lot of time, obviously being manipulative, even from jump. And when you think about Avengers Endgame and how Scott did lose five years with his daughter, how he would want to go ahead and, you know, recapture that. His daughter now, Cassie, is going to turn 18 in the film. She's played by uh, Catherine Newton, who you most likely know from Freaky. But I find that very interesting that they're using 
something very similar to what Mephisto did as far as offering a better life to our heroes. I think that's a very interesting direction. And that's one reason why Kang is so interesting. Because when you think about He Who Remains and Loki, his big pitch was, hey, you know, you got, you know, you, Loki, and you, Sylvie, you both can run TVA and I'll, you know, retire, essentially. The fact that King is savvy enough and manipulative enough to go ahead and offer our heroes, you know, the life that they presumably would want. I think that's a very interesting wrinkle, and I'm very curious how that's going to potentially expand and influence uh, some, some of our characters' decisions as we move forward. Because when you think about it, why wouldn't someone like Thor want, you know, to go back to the Asgard that he knew? Maybe there's a timeline where Jane Foster is a mighty Thor and they, you know, he doesn't lose her. So I think that's a very interesting bargaining chip that Kang has in his back pocket that he could potentially use with other other people, not just named Scott Lang. And so I'm really curious how that's going to be uh, utilize leading up to the King Dynasty. So I think that's something to definitely keep track of. So, of course, we know from the trailer that King is full of shit because, you know, he, his name's King the Conqueror, not King the Truth Teller. So it's, it's, it's no surprise that he's going to go ahead and screw Scott. I'm intrigued as well because at the 16 second mark, we see Cassie coming out of jail. So what I'm wondering is while Paul Rudd uh, Paul Rudd Scott Lang is, you know, being this celebrity, going to award shows and all that. If Cassie is doing something similar, kind of doing a Robin Hood type crime like her dad was doing in the first film, which is what ties them potentially together as far as him wanting to go ahead and get more time with her independent of the five years that he lost because of the snap. So another thing I want to point out is... Jonathan Majors as Kang is just such a perfect casting choice. We got to see somewhat of the goofy side of him in Loki, but there's definitely that sinister nature that we saw even with that variant. But seeing Kang, seeing him at the 31 second mark, first off, I love that shot of his blue face uh, reflecting off of the uh, off of the ground. I think that's just an amazing shot. I know a lot of people, or I don't know if I even say a lot of people, I know some people have the issue with the whole visor element with the Marvel films as far as how the helmets kind of just retract. I think it looks clean. I think it looks very techy. I think it's a clever way to have Jonathan Majors look like King the Conqueror, but still be black AF. I think that's actually pretty clever, and I appreciate that. But I love the shot, the 37, uh, 37 second mark, where the mask retracts. Uh, sideways. I think that's a nice little feature, but still has the the blue eyes. So Jonathan Majors, him, I, I think I mentioned it in the first trailer, I believe what he wants Scott to get for him is the timeshare. The timeshare in short, it's it's so comic booky, I didn't so even want to get into it. But the shorthand version of it is that it's a share that allows the user to travel through time and space, visit alternate dimensions, etc. Uh, if they're going comic accurate, it technically also has uh, laser defense weapons and a force shield that can basically withstand anything. Could probably even uh, offstand uh, or hold up against 
Captain Marvel when she's in binary. So that's how powerful the chair is. So I'm curious if that's what Scott's supposed to get for Kang. It would make sense so he can get out of the timeline or out of the quantum realm. But then that brings me to two questions is who trapped him there originally? So, okay. I have a, a very like kind of no duh answer. And then my big swing, and I'm hoping it's my big swing. The obvious answer would be he who remains, because if you remember from Loki, when he's breaking down how the multiversal war happened the first time and how he had to keep pruning these timelines as they popped up, it would make sense that he who remains realized, oh, uh, this variant of me, King the Conqueror, is fucking horrifying. He can't be allowed to potentially wreak havoc. So he locked him there. Um, The second most obvious choice would be Janet. And I kind of like that more because I like the concept of from the first trailer that we saw where Janet is very pissed off at Cassie for sending that beacon uh, that's alerting the quantum realm. It would make sense for Janet to realize how dangerous King is and go, oh, absolutely not. You can't be allowed to escape and her finding a way to go ahead and lock him in the quantum realm. That would be the second most obvious one. And now as far as the big swing <laughs> identity, and this is what I want. I will be the first to admit, I I, I think we all as comic book fans need to have that conversation with ourselves of what the movie gives us versus what we want. Because let's, let's be real, WandaVision was almost broken by fans because we thought we were going to get Mephisto at the very end. We thought we were going to get Doctor Strange. And then when we didn't get that or an X-Men, people kind of turn on the show. I'm trying to definitely go in with, you know, a an open mind as far as what the film's going to give me. So that if it doesn't give me the exact characters or what have you that I want, I'll still be entertained and I'll still be happy. Okay, so we know that William Jackson Harper from The Good Place... We know he's in this movie in a mystery role. He's not been in any trailers. He's not been in any advertising. He hasn't been in any posters. He's been in Jack. Now, my theory is that, among other people who have brought this up, him being Reed Richards would make a ton of sense. Because when we think about the fact that Reed Richards does exist, as we know from Multiverse of Madness... And I'm only basing it off of this admittedly somewhat flimsy concept, but I'll get to why it's not flimsy in a moment. King the Conqueror, we know his visor and his eyes glow blue. If you think about in Multiverse of Madness, when Reed Richards shows up, he uses that remote that goes ahead and transports him um, into into the throne room with the Illuminati. What color was that platform? Blue. So we've noticed that with a lot of the power bases in Marvel, what they're starting to do is color color code them so we can keep them all straight. So, you know, Wanda is using, um, you know, hex magic. So her, uh, her powers glow red. Agatha is more of a witch, is a witch. So her stuff was glowing purple. Uh, Shang-Chi, when he's using the, 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 the Mandarin rings, those are glowing gold which also ties in to the trailer here because you notice at the, I want to say it's like the 140, oh gosh, I had it here. Like at the one, 
149 mark when Wasp is trying to pull Scott up, you notice that that's all flashing gold in the background. So my theory for this here is that this version of uh, Cryptopolis, which Kang the Conqueror goes ahead and rules over, that's where a lot of the power bases are established from and based from. And that's why we have all these different colors for these different characters in the MCU, which would explain why Kamala Khan's uh, uh, gauntlets go ahead and flash, uh, you know, a different color than Shang-Chi's do. And if you also notice, um, as far as the coloring of the power bases, if you pause at the 118 mark, those marks there on that giant, uh, on that giant ring, those are glyphs uh, straight out of Eternals, which I think we're going to get a sequel com uh, confirmed here at Comic-Con this year. You heard that here. You heard it here first. So all this is, feels like it is definitely tying in together as far as the power bases. The Quantum Realm being kind of the hub for all these powers would make a ton of sense. So you could keep it simple by just kind of going, everything's in the Quantum Realm. But if you've listened to the podcast for a decent amount of time, I always said that the Fantastic Four would be introduced a good amount before their before their film. And when you think about the fact that we don't know who William Jackson Harper is playing, you could easily go with a pitch that I have personally brought up on the on the afternoon tune and some other podcasts that I've uh, co-hosted on or uh, guest spotted on. It's so easy to go ahead and say the Fantastic Four have just been trapped in the quantum realm since the 60s. That way you can go ahead and have the fish out of water story with the whole family and use that to address, you know, the sexist, uh, the sexist nature, the racist nature of the 60s and go ahead and have them experience all these incredible social improvements in real time and use it as commentary from from where we were to where we are now that's such an easy story to tell if you take them from out of time and make them a, not a man out of time but a family out of time you can tell that story so easily and william jackson harper being reed richards or a version of reed richards absolutely you could make you could make that work and Who's to say we get we don't get the whole Fantastic Four family introduced in Quantumania? Maybe we just find out that Reed is the first one. Maybe we go ahead and we just meet Reed and he alludes to his family. I'd be fine with that. But it's very interesting that we're a month out and we still don't know who William Jackson Harper is playing. I think that is very, very intentional. And I think that means that he's in line be playing a really important character as far as this film he not may not be in the film a ton but i think he's going to be incredibly vital especially to the mcu moving forward also we're not 100 percent sure on who bill murray is playing either and that's another thing that we need to keep an eye out on because we only see bill murray in that one shot in the teaser trailer for about you know five seconds that's really all we've gotten of bill murray and I appreciate that. I appreciate that Marvel's playing the hand a little closer to the vest because if you've been reading up on any interviews here, I, I want to say it was Peyton Reed, but it was someone associated with Marvel saying that we wanted to make Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania feel as important as something like Civil War or Winter Soldier. 
And when I think back to something like Civil War and really the third film for many of these heroes, it really goes ahead and hammers home the point of loss. They always lose something. Captain America lost his shield at the end of Civil War, lost his family in the Avengers. Uh, Tony Stark lost his arc reactor. He lost his suits. He was really back to square one at the end of the day. Uh, Thor, he lost his home. He lost Asgard, literally, and had to go ahead and get on a spaceship to go ahead and forge a new Asgard. So while I think people are freaking out about Scott potentially getting killed by uh, getting killed by Kang, because we get that shot at the 153 mark where Kang stomps the fuck out of that Ant-Man helmet. I love that POV shot, by the way. If you pause at the 153, Kang has his look on his face like, motherfucker, I did that. Like, it's <laughs> it's such an intense look. But I love this shot because it shows the peril that Scott is going to be in at some point in the film. Um, while I think that Scott dying, there's always a chance. There's always a chance Scott dies. Kang is a sadistic motherfucker, and Kang is sadistic enough that he would want Scott to live with the pain of losing someone else. So I personally think Hope's going to die. If it's not now, here's where my brain kind of goes into overthink mode because Hope be, Hope being such a founding member and such a core member of the Avengers, I think it might be too tempting for Marvel to kill her off this early. However, do I think there's a world where if it's not Hope that Hank gets killed? Absolutely, because Kang is sadistic enough that he would want Scott to live with the pain of living of, of losing someone versus just killing Scott. Because I think Kang sees Scott as such a threat, he wants to be the one to take him out on a bigger scale. So I I believe that that's where the theatrics and kind of the grandeur of Kang being conqueror is going to come into play. I think Scott bites the dust. Maybe at the end of the Kang Dynasty. I don't know if he even makes it to Secret Wars, but that's a whole other conversation. But I believe that if Hope doesn't die, it's going to be Hank. Because I think that Janet is still going to be too vital as far as her information with the Quantum Realm and her interactions with it. I don't think you kill her off now. But Hank, maybe even potentially sacrificing himself for Scott, that's a very real part, or for Scott and for Hope. I think that's a very real possibility, and I would not be surprised if that's something that we end up getting here at the at some point in the film. So if that happens, you heard it here. Now, if we go to the minute, uh, or sorry, the 56 second mark, I love this shot because if you look real close in the background there, you see a Darren Cross uh, played by Corey Stoll in the first Ant-Man film. You see Modoc, and I do find it funny that people are kind of freaking out about, oh my god, look at how bad Modoc looks. Modoc is a giant floating fucking head. How is he supposed to look? It's supposed to look freaky, and I love how freaky it looks. I think it'll be get cleaned up a little bit before we, you know, get the finished product, but I love that Modoc looks that creepy. It's very unnerving to me. And if you go back and watch Ant-Man. And um, when Yellow Jacket is defeated, he goes ahead and his body distorts and uh, with the armor on top of him. And then you see him poof. But it's not like he dies because that flash you get, it's very similar to the flash Scott gets when he gets out of the quantum realm. So 
you could easily tell this new origin of where Kang went ahead and experimented on Yellowjacket to go ahead and save him. And and now uh, Yellowjacket has taken on the persona of Modok and he is an underling for Kang. That's a very easy uh, story to tell and a very easy plot line to tie into the main one. So I'm really intrigued on how they're going to explain Modok in this world. And keep in mind, Modok does have connections to the X-Men. So I'm really curious how they're going to go ahead and explain him. And I, I hope Modok is not a one and done. I hope Modok ends up coming back in the MCU because of course still such a great actor and I was a little bummed we didn't get him in Ant-Man the Wasp. I get why we didn't, but the fact they're bringing him back now, I don't think that's it's personally for a one and done. I think there's more of a purpose for bringing Modok into the fold. So the other thing I want to point out, because there's a few other things. So I mentioned earlier how I feel like all the power power bases are the origin is going to be told to be this version of of uh, Cryptopolis. I love the shot at the 107 mark where Scott is diving down, um, presumably maybe to get the time sh- uh, the timeshare from this world that he's in. But it's very reminiscent, almost shot for shot, of the first Ant Man film when he's going to go ahead and go ahead and uh, steal some shit. I I love the fact that how they're mirroring. Um, how they're marrying that scene from the first Ant-Man. And then at the 120, 127 mark, now here's a, here's probably my biggest swing I'm going to take. I think that these ships, just because they glow blue, these are clearly Kang's ship, and Kang uh, clearly has you know the power here. But I think just off of the designs and how the front of the ship looks, and if you look at the 127 mark, you look at this, uh, the ship that's facing from the side, you can almost make out those hieroglyphs, uh, hieroglyphics there on the side there, on the side panel. Those look kind of Wakandan. So my theory is that these plans or these ships themselves were straight up stolen from an alternate version of Wakanda that King maybe conquered because there was no Black Panther. I, As a matter of fact, I'm going to say that in the time during the snap, when there wouldn't have been a T'Challa or a Shuri, I think King went ahead and conquered Wakanda because while they were weak, because they had no protector. I'm gonna go ahead and call that right now. That's my biggest swing. I'm gonna say in terms of, uh, of uh, in terms of what could potentially be happening. And I mentioned it earlier, and I just want to close the loop on it. So from the first trailer, we know that Cassie goes ahead and creates this beacon that goes ahead and rings in the quantum realm and goes ahead and pretty much gets Kane to go ahead and suck them into the quantum realm. So the obvious answer would be probably uh, would probably be Ben Foster, who's played by Lawrence Fishburne in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, he probably was the one who helped her create the beacon. Ghost would be another example, since Ghost was working so closely with Ben Foster. This is where my Reed Richards theory ties back in because if there's a way that potentially she met Reed Richards or even a variant of Reed Richards and uh, maybe the Baxter Institute finally comes into play because as we, as I've talked about that building in Spider-Man Homecoming, 
that building got bought. That's no longer Stark Tower, and we still don't know what that building is. Do we finally get that loop closed and we find out it's the Baxter building? Is there a way that maybe Cassie ended up going to school there or maybe intern there? I mean, I think the Fantastic Four are going to factor into this movie, and there's several ways you could go ahead and get that to happen. That one... That's probably the one I, I think that's going to happen. I, I don't know why. I'm just I'm sticking with my gut. I just have this feeling that Reed Richards is going to play more of a role here than any of us realize. So the last kind of thing I'll bring up is at the minute 30 mark, we look up, we see those ships and it looks like they're invading another world. The fact it's glowing red makes me wonder if it's... I don't, I'm not going to say Scarlet Witch is there, but I'm wondering if they're looking to take out some other magic deity uh, or deities um, in existence. I, I find the fact that that scene is red in particular is really fascinating. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if we're going to get to learn more about how the timelines work, but outside of that, I think those are all my my theories, but Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, I believe tickets might be on sale this week, so keep an eye out um, at your uh, at your theaters to see if they tickets do go on sale this week. I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye out, but February 17th, this comes out. I will definitely have a review up for it that weekend, and as I mentioned, I will have a review up for Loki Season 1. We do know we're getting season two of loki uh this summer and i would just like to point out fantastic four supposed to debut or the film supposed to come out in february and we get avengers the king dynasty that summer so if the fantastic four were introduced in some way shape or form this is a kind of a good time to do it two years out so I'm really curious what we're going to get in this movie. I think there are quite a few surprises that we're not prepared for, but February 17th, let's find out. We'll we'll see. But Ant-Man the Wasp Quantum Mania trailer, this is the second one. What did you guys see? Let me know in the comments. You can follow yours truly on the Twitter at jhunterrealpineapple. You can follow me on Instagram as well at jhunterrealpineapple. Don't forget to hit like, share, and subscribe, follow, uh, rate the podcast. It definitely helps us out. You can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Music, TuneUp, and Samsung Podcasts at The Real Pineapple. Don't forget, uh, don't forget to like both our pages on Facebook at The Real Pineapple and Real Pineapple Games. That's R-E-E-L Pineapple. Don't forget to follow me on Letterboxd at Black Shazam. And don't forget to follow me on TikTok at Black Shazam 775. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to have reviews up uh, this. Uh, actually, will be this week? Oh, it's going to be next week. Uh, week of the weekend of the 28th. I'm going to have my best and worst of finally up. I'm watching a few more movies just to finalize, make sure I can keep the gap closed as much as possible. And I've watched as much of the best of stuff that I'm hearing about before I do my list. Uh, same thing with the worst of, but we'll have both reviews up for that up weekend of the 28th. So keep an eye out for that. Going to have reviews up as well coming up for 
Oh, what else? Uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Uh, oh, God, more than that. Um, probably going to review Plane. Probably review up for that as well, along with some other, uh, some other stuff, including some Oscar contenders, including The Fablemans. Uh, oh, gosh, what else? Uh, Armageddon Time. I review up for that. Uh, my review of Everything Everywhere All at Once is currently live. And since we're heading to Black History Month, Another year of the Black Cinema Showcase. I'm not sure how many films I'm going to do. Probably do about five or six uh, this year. But I'm going to have reviews up for The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Waves. I think I might re-review Moonlight just because I love that movie so much. But definitely have reviews up for, uh, for Armageddon Time as well as uh, The Inspection and Waves. And I'm finally, finally, finally finally going to be reviewing uh, HBO's Watchmen. I'm really excited to watch that. And I think I'm going to finally rewatch Malcolm X. I got the uh, criterion of it, and I think I need to break that bad boy open. So I think I'm going to review up as well for Malcolm X. So quite a few things come down the pipeline for Black Cinema Showcase, but I'll let you guys know as we get closer to February on that. But Thank you so much for your support. Please stay safe out there. Hope you're having a great start to your new year, and we'll talk to you soon.